you're going to shut up and you're going to take every course I tell you to take because I believe that you need to be an actor. Hey, this is the Charcha cast with me today, a very special guest. It's Veer Das, world-famous comedian. Thank you. <laughs> What's up, man? It's very exciting to have you here. Thank you for having me. Um, I've never been inside the embassy before. So I know, it's very, nice. you're in an undisclosed, like, bunker <laughs> location. Uh, so, this is the Charcha cast. We're here uh, at the U.S. Consulate in Mumbai. Um, thank you for joining us. A couple of things I want to talk to you about today. Okay. And I figure let's just get right to it. Done. Um, one of the things that sort of, well, I, I attended your most recent Netflix yes. uh, special, the taping of Yes. Super funny. I'm a fan. And you were right up front. I was right up front. <laughs> in the red strange section. strange because I got in there and someone brought me to the front of the thing. And all of a sudden, you're, you're three feet away from me. Yeah. Um, it's out now, the new Netflix special. It is out on Netflix. Uh, it's called For India. For India. Congratulations. Thank That's you, cool. Man. It's your third one. My third one. Um, but let's, before we get into the, the comedy special, let's take you back a little bit first. Um, you had kind of an, an interesting childhood, um, which you, in one of your Netflix specials, have a very funny bit on. Um, mm-hmm. But you kind of grew up in Nigeria, and then you were in India, yeah. and you were in the U.S. and Moscow. So my dad, uh, when I was a year old, uh, went to Nigeria for the sexiest profession there is, which is food processing. Nice. <laughs> so he was in Nigeria making uh, pre-cut potatoes and, and tomato pulp. Really? Yeah, that's what he was doing. Um, and then... Because uh, there weren't that many sort of Indian uh, language schools, and my parents wanted me to have an Indian education. So when I was eight, uh, boarding school in India, okay. um, but parents still in Nigeria. Then about two years of, of uh, final school here, and then I went to America for college. Okay. So, yeah. well, and, and what made you choose to go to the United States for college? I'd always wanted to, uh, and I ended up uh, applying to every sort of big college that I knew because of movies. Right? So I applied to like NYU. I applied to Brown, I applied to all of these places without fully realizing I couldn't afford to <laughs> pay tuition for half of these places. And then uh, I had a neighbor who said, man, there's this college in Illinois that does like uh, 90% financial aid and diversity is really important to them. Uh, and so it's called Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, the mecca of civilization <laughs> as we know it. And it was just one of those colleges where... Uh, It was 1,100 kids. Everybody lived on campus. And I think 300 of them were international. Wow. But this is something that that we talk about a lot, too, Mm -hmm. is we find that people try to apply to, like, the NYUs and Harvards, and and you want the sort of bumper sticker thing. But you ended up going to a fairly small, um, yeah. I won't call it obscure, but yeah. I, I, I didn't know yeah. what it was. Um, and you turned out all right. I don't, it, was, it was great. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, th- there's two facets to it, right? I mean, you're scared when you're driving from O'Hare Airport for like three hours and it's just cornfield, cornfield, so you cornfield. you the big city of Chicago. <laughs> and then you and leave. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, right? And then it's literally cornfield, college, cornfield. But uh, I feel like you experience real America more when you do that. You know, like I had host parents who were in Galesburg and like my host mom worked at the Maytag factory and my host father was a trucker and they take me out on like Harley Davidson's for the weekend and... So you, like, you live with them then? No, I mean they, they just took, like, like every a, international kid gets a host parent. Oh, that's cool. And they kind of take care of you for, really? for four years. Right? So, okay, so what was the culture shock then for you? I mean, what was the biggest like, besides the cornfields? I mean, it was just, uh, I, I went from Delhi University, which is just so many kids, to just 1,100 kids. Uh, and 
you know they say chimps breed in captivity <laughs> so like to know everybody in your college is a new experience sure and then also the the one thing that struck me as very interesting was um i don't know what i want to do yet you know through freshman and sophomore year which is such an alien concept to an indian kid getting into college because yeah. we get into college saying this is what i want to do this is how my, how much i want to earn by the end of college etc etc so i went to study econ and wound up a theater major in in sophomore year you started off like the good indian student yeah right? i was i was like <laughs> economics i was on dean's list I, I i was doing well yeah. uh and i had this professor called ivan davidson and he he's passed now but uh i did a beginning acting course just on a lark because it knocks you had to take three subjects that were important to your major or in the direction you were headed in and then just one random subject so you know through the years i got to study like jazz history or science fiction or greek philosophy and then i took beginning acting and he kind of called me into his office at the end of it and said i say this to one kid every 7 years you're going to shut up and you're going to take every course i tell you to take because i believe that you need to be an actor oh. so i was like man i'm on a scholarship for econ <laughs> and he's like you can do that too uh so he made me do like a double major but he of econ and theater of econ and theater but famous parent <laughs> yeah. and And so my my theater GPA is like three point eight, my econ GPA is two point one. I passed. I passed. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's super random, right? Now, for, do you think he says that to everyone? Is this one of these things yeah, where the I, next kid is like I tell one person every? Well, he kind of made me his teaching assistant the oh, next year, so he nice. kind of really like championed my cause. Um, so what do mom and dad say though? Like I, I didn't I, tell them for the first <laughs> year. Like I called dad after like a year, and I'm like, you need to sit down. I'm going to be an actor now. and he's like no you need to sit down you're completing your econ major cuz you know dad was spending uh, i don't know 6 7000 a year yeah. at that moment in time which for us was a lot of money sure. so he's like you got to come through on your promise to us so i did you know okay so you you finished school yeah i am your your dual major in th- in theater and econ you yeah. had this sort of epiphany knox college gave you the opportunity to do that it, i just it threw me into everything america and it was kind of cool. like i joined a frat really uh, yeah i was a sigma nu oh, right which on. was kind of like the the loser diverse frat on my campus at least and i was rush chair in a frat um and which is re- recruiting which is recruiting i was in a fraternity as well so. you know uh not that frat culture is really valid in today's world <laughs> anymore mm-hmm. but you know um i just kind of yeah uh, it was this there was one kmart and one jc penny and and a taco bell and a, and a dairy queen and a mcdonalds and that was the whole town and and you're the the like the the golden example for knox college now right weren't you the val- not the valedictorian the the graduation speaker yeah i got a, an honorary doctorate last year so i'm i'm dr das <laughs> and Does i would say what it's in is it like in economics or something yeah it says uh for contribution to the arts i'm a doctor of the arts but it was kind of weird because so here's knox college's uh graduation speakers there's bill clinton uh obama when he was a senator uh eva longoria steven cobert ed helms and then me <laughs> so it was the weirdest like and i followed clinton i think because he was there yeah but that was your school though you came school, up yeah. there right but yeah. fine clinton whatever but yeah. like you you cuz those kids can relate to you right they can say that that that's me i enjoyed it for like 24 hours for 24 hours my twitter was dr das and then i took it away then i was like i'm not a real doctor i'm taking it what away. do you tell what do you tell them though what do you tell kids at a graduation speech i i just knew i wouldn't get by on wisdom you know because i'm 
I'm 40, you know, and all these guys have done so much. So I wrote a speech called the Be Stupid speech, which is uh, that stupid is a good word hmm. and lean into, and the stupid decisions we make define us far more than the, you know, the smart thought out decisions. God, amen to that. So lean into the stupidity in your life. That was my well, right sort on. of ammo. And that's probably, a, that would be a tough thing, I think, for an Indian student to hear, right? I mean, given yeah. the sort of the, the culture of achievement and success. Yeah, and, and, and I was surrounded by Indians who were computer science or econ or, or you know, just very straight up majors. So when I'm like, I'm going to quit all that and do theater, agreeably a stupid decision amongst the Indian community on campus. But yeah. All right. So you finished school and then somehow you end up in Russia. So I, <laughs> after... Um, after I graduated from Knox, there's a theater called the Moscow Arts Theater. And there's Stanislavski's theater. And they kind of invented method acting. So these are yeah. disciples of Stanislavski, right? And they do a program in Boston at the American Repertory Theater at Harvard, which is a six-month program. And they audition thousands of kids. And they give 10 people a full scholarship. Uh, and so <laughs> after, you know, four years of drama school at Knox and you know, sitting in a circle and crying and, and American theater professors saying, I see what you're doing, but take a different direction and emote with your shoulders and just foo-foo drama things. I'm with these Russians in Boston, right? <laughs> and uh, the artistic director of the Moscow Arts Theater, day one, kind of comes out and he's like, acting very simple. Read script. Believe script. Then do what the hell you like. <laughs> so I'm like, after four years of all of that, that was acting. Um, so I did that for six months with these guys. And they were great. Uh, yeah? like, uh, 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 Americans are very constructive with their feedback in drama school. Uh, and Russians are bullshit. You insult Chekhov, get out. You know, they, it's just like there's no filter at all. They were fantastic. So you got a little bit of both. A little bit of both. All right, so you're done with, uh, you finish up with the Russians in Boston of yeah. all places. Um, and so, but so then what is the path from sort of there to world-famous comedian Virdas. Like, you didn't uh, just start doing stand-up one day, right? No, I, uh, so, final year at Knox, because I'd, uh, I'd just done so much serious theater. I'd done, like, Chekhov and Shakespeare, and uh, I wrote a show called Brown Men Can't Hump, uh, because there's a movie called White Men Can't Jump around the mm -hmm. time. And so I did, like, you know, the first time people do stand-up, they do five minutes, 80 people. I did 90 minutes for 800 people Jeez. at Knox. Um, and, you know, thought I was amazing because my friends had laughed at my inside jokes. And uh, I was applying to grad school, so I was uh, waiting tables and washing dishes at the Grand Lux Cafe in Chicago. Uh, and then I got into the Alabama Shakespeare Festival at the University of Alabama. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> right? with, the, with the aim saying, I'm going to teach Shakespeare. I'll do a PhD in Shakespeare and I'll be like Ivan. I'll be like a drama professor for the rest of my life. And in Chicago, I kind of started hitting open mics. And once that bug bit me, um, and three months before I went to grad school, I came back to India to save some money. So I'm like, I'll stay at home. I did a gig in Delhi. It sold out. And then I started getting more gigs. And so then I went to Alabama, and I lasted four months. And I dropped out in four months. Wow. I was in Montgomery, Alabama for four months. Yeah, that's that's... 
that's your <laughs> that's your culture shock, I guess, right? Is, is it was it was okay. It, it, you know, it wasn't Alabama as much as it was. I, I felt like I've tasted the stage now, uh, right and grad school will always be there, and I can always teach at some point. How do you sell out a show in Delhi though, right away? You you already, I mean, is there a built-in audience or you? No, it, it was, uh, so we went to this place called the India Habitat Center in Delhi, and we we showed the artistic director like a videotape of Brown Men Can't Hump. And she's like, okay, if you don't do that, I'll give you a show. And at least, you know, stand-up had never been done in like a theater theater before in India. And and uh, there wasn't anybody doing stand-up for like college kids. You know, there wasn't anybody saying the F word. There wasn't anybody talking about sex. It was just kind of 45 and above posh upper society British sort of stand-up. So suddenly when the tickets were cheap and, you know, college kids kind of came out and that just kind of set it off. Huh. And you, do you sort of trace that event as the, the beginning of Virdas or, I mean... What? I don't know what Virdas is yet, but, uh, it, no, it was, I moved to Bombay. Like, that's huh. what made it happen. Okay. So after I, I dropped out of grad school, I came back. And, w- and what's, what, what, what's Dad think about that? Oh, like, first of all, I'm going to go get a PhD in Shakespeare, <laughs> right? All right, fine. He settled. Right. Uh, it was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was like, he's lost, you know. And I'd also kind of met a girl in India. So dropping out was half, like, the girl wasn't going to come to Montgomery, Alabama. You know what I mean? So it was half, I really want to be a comic. And also half, I miss the girl. So everybody in India was just like, he did this for the girl. He, he's lost his mind. Uh, he's so young. These relationships never work out. Uh, which partly right. Uh, and... Then the Times of India offered me a show in Bombay. It's called the Times Food Awards. And there's uh, a lady who I do a bit about in the special, Sabina. She mm-hmm. was my friend in the Taj, who okay. I lost in the Taj. Yeah. And she was editor of the, the Daily Times. And she kind of said, I like this kid and I'm going to push him. So she got me to the Times of India office in Bombay. And they were like, uh, we're going to put you on TV and we're going to make you a VJ. And I was like, cool, what's a VJ? <laughs> like, like the old MTV days yeah, or something, right? right? Yeah. And so they just said, you have a week to move to Bombay. So I kind of just walked around in Marine Drive and I'm like, this looks pretty cool. And I called a broker and I found like a one-room apartment in Bandra. And that's what set everything off. Were you, were you actually a VJ? I was, I was a VJ for, I want to say three and a half months. I was fired in three and a half months because I was terrible. Doing music and stuff like like the old yeah, thing. but the the problem with comics is every you know VJs are the epitome of enthusiasm. Sure. So they're supposed to be like, I love this artist and I love this song and I just sounded sarcastic <laughs> the whole time because I didn't and I couldn't fake it. So yeah. Yeah, there's something like that's like the goofy FM morning show yeah. type of vibe, right? Which yeah. I'm sure you've done a lot of those yeah. as well. Okay, so then we, your your comedy career starts to take off a little bit. You you build up some success. Um, Let's talk now a little bit, shift gears a little bit, and chat about comedy itself, your comedy. Yeah. Um, you know, I look back at sort of iconic comedians and stuff, and they seem to fall into a couple of different camps, right? Yeah. There's sort of the observational kind of safe humor, yeah. um, the popcorn-type humor, and then there's stuff that sort of has, like, social implications, right? Yeah. You look at a guy like George Carlin mm-hmm. or Bill Hicks or someone like this, yeah. and I sort of see you in you using your comedy more for social commentary versus the, you know, sort of the Seinfeldian. Yeah. Was that a conscious decision or something you're interested in? Uh, I think it's just where I am now, man. Like, I, you know, I, what a lot of us don't realize about India is we're all babies, right? I'm, I'm 12 years in. Chappelle, 
is 30 years in. Hmm. Bill Burr is 30 years in, Kevin Hart, Chris Rock, Carlin at his best was like 35 years in. Stand-ups, the older you get, the better you get. You know what I mean? You find your voice like 20 years in. So I just don't know. But Why does it take that long? I, it just, I still am not fully myself yeah. on stage. But I look at a guy like Bill Burr or Chappelle or Tignataro or, or, you know, and they just themselves. They improvise in themselves. They found their voice. And that, that's what epitomized like Richard Pryor or Carlin, right? Or Eddie Murphy. So for me, it's, I don't think you can live in a country like India um, and want to be an authentic Indian voice, which is very important to me, and not address these things. Mm. You know, you can't. Too much, you live here, too much changes every day on a daily. It changes faster than most places in the world. This country is changing right now because we're developing still. So you can't not talk about it. And you know? I, I want to be a little bit careful about this because mm -hmm. I'm a guest in, yeah. in India. And, yeah. um, but this idea of you can't, you can't not talk about it, mm -hmm. right? But we talk to people all the time yeah. who give us various permutations of, I'm a little bit caught. I hold back a little bit. I'm worried about backlash and stuff. Is, is that a concern for you? Well, you know, it, it, it oscillates with, with leadership. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, you know, and, and I've been doing it 12 years, so I've seen different permutations of that. There are sensitive times and there are non-sensitive times. The, the way I always look at it is three things. I have a strong moral compass, and my moral compass is inherently patriotic, you know? So I don't think there's anything more patriotic than parodying your country, you know? And I don't view that as dissent. I view that as democracy. So that's one. Two... There's nothing anybody can say to me then that is worse than the things I've said about myself on stage, right? So uh, the ratio has to be, I've got to make fun of myself more than I make fun of the audience. And then you'll always be okay. And the third is, the audience teaches you. You know, if a joke is horrible, or if it's offensive, or if it's wrong, you will catch silence. And there is nothing more terrifying than silence. It's worse than... An investigation, it's worse than being trolled on Twitter, it's worse than being called out. Silence from an audience is the worst feeling in the world. So that's your benchmark for, for yeah. where my line is. If I, if I yeah. try out a new joke and I get nothing, then I know I probably... Yeah. I trust my audience. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I'm charging them enough money where they're, they're pretty educated, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're not coming in blind to stand up. So yeah, I trust them. Do you, but do you give that same advice to young comics who are coming up to say, give it a no, shot? No, I, I tell young comics to say anything. Yeah. Yeah, because the, you know, I, I didn't, the first time I put stand-up online was on Netflix. So I wasn't putting stuff on YouTube yeah. every week, etc., like a lot of young comics are. So they, they catch feedback a lot earlier than, than I did. And that feedback's brutal. Like, we live in a world right now where a 26-year-old comic is expected to be politically correct and woke and know everything. And that's just impossible. He's not going to. Or she's not going to. So just say anything, stumble, learn, you know, you'll figure it out. But this early in the game, don't second guess your instincts, you know. Do you, so do you look <clears throat> back, though, at, at let's say, like, take Dave Chappelle, for example. Mm -hmm. if you, Chappelle's show was by far probably my favorite yeah. piece of, of, of television I've ever seen. But I think if you look back now at some of the episodes and some mm -hmm. of the stuff he was doing, he couldn't get away with it today. I don't no, think. it's not woke enough and it's not politically correct enough. Yeah. Right. And so, but... Uh, 
is there any of is the legacy in your mind at all that boy the stuff I'm saying today 20 years from now I'm gonna be called uh, you know horrible names or this isn't gonna be acceptable I, I think you limit yourself as an artist if you think about those things yeah. you really man this is a profession where any artistic profession what three percent of the people in that profession are managing to eat off of that you know particular profession it's a privilege just to be on stage and to be able to gig and support a house and, you know, to be able to do that stuff. You'll get in your own way, I feel like, if you second-guess yourself. But research, I'm not averse to. So, uh, the second Netflix special, I had a bit about feminism, right, and about women's clothing. So, to do due diligence and to talk to, like, ten different women of ten different sort of intersectionalities, do that, you know, so that at least that informs your joke. You, you should, don't have to be, don't be uninformed. When you do a joke, you know. but, but you're at the you're, but you're at the point, and like other fame or well-known comedians, where one thing can derail you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean that that's got to be terrifying to a certain extent. That I'm I want you to use CK as an example, but but mm -hmm. you're one mistake, yeah, away from pariah status, yeah, right? or from cancel culture, or whatever. But I also think, I mean, the audience is very intelligent, man. They they know like. Uh, there's uh, a Louis C.K. version of that. There's also a Kevin Hart version of that. Mm. You know what I mean? And and there's, you know, so Kevin Hart said some very unwoke things in his past, but I feel like he's evolved as a person and he's going to be okay. You know, he'll still continue to have a career um, as long as he addresses it and apologizes, which in some way, shape, or form, I think he he has. Um, the audience understands. And the lovely thing about stand-up, as opposed to acting, as opposed to music, is you can write something horrible and pay the price for it, and then a week later you can write something beautiful, hmm. and, and you can make up for it. Yeah. You know, this is a very democratic profession in that sense. Right on. Uh, let's shift just a second to mm -hmm. um, you sort of taking the United States by, mm -hmm. by storm. Um, do you worry about, you know, Mindy Kaling has talked about this and um, the sort of the Indian stereotype and, you know, every, all the Indians you see on television have the same sort of typecast and stuff. Is, is that a concern? I, you know, I, I, don't, I, I think that's changing. Yeah. I, I, and not nearly as much as we'd like it to, but I, I view that in two senses, right? Number one, um, Bollywood is the biggest film industry in the world right now. We release seven films every Friday. In 80 years of making cinema, uh, or maybe 65 years of making commercial cinema, the only role we've ever given a white guy is kill the Indians. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only role we've ever given. So, so it goes both ways. So it goes both ways, right? So let, let's not be too hypocritical about wanting characters with depth. Um, I'm not averse to playing a stereotypical character if the character has depth. I will play a taxi driver, I will play a terrorist, I will play a doctor, I will play an IT engineer. But what doctor? What taxi driver? What IT engineer? Hmm. What does he have to say? What is their story? I'm absolutely on board with playing those things. But you've got to give me depth of character. Do you want to do more serious stuff, given you have an acting background? Would you take I, a serious role? I think so. I mean, right now there's, uh, you know, Whiskey Cavalier was kind of nice because I, I just played a guy who was bad with people and good with guns. You know, and that's... Not something Is you that see. A reflection on your. Uh, <laughs> not really, but it's not something you see an Indian guy playing, right? We're yeah. always likable, show up to work, integrate, happy, go lucky people on American television. So just to play a salty guy who hated people and you know, and killed people was kind of refreshing. Um, 
I just did an episode of Fresh Off the Boat, which was kind of nice. Okay. Uh, which might be a possible spin-off. Really? Uh, around an Indian family. Um, and it's, it's me and uh, there's an actress called Preeti Zinta, who's a big Bollywood star. So it's both of us as young parents uh, in, you know, this, this one motel in the 90s. So it is, uh, you know, a typical setting, but a very atypical, uh, like, untypical story. So that might be nice. And what's, what, is, what has been your reception, though, in the <coughs> United States? Do you, do you find your audience in the U.S. Is in, are Indian Americans? Is it everybody? So post the Netflix specials, it's kind of now 50-50. Cool. Right. You know, and what's strange about that is I find that most Americans are now looking for an authentic story. You know? So they're not looking for you to give them their version of India. They're looking for you to give them your version of India. Yeah. And they're genuinely interested in that. I learned that with the next special. So the first special, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to talk about gun control. I'm going to talk about breakfast cereal. I'm going to talk about things that are important to Americans. And then in the second special, when it came time to tell my story, I kind of worried about it. I'm like, are people going to buy into, you know, the Mahabharata on stage or to, right. you know, my family or... and. Strangely enough, that saw far greater response amongst Americans and Brits, and huh. you know, so they're interested in diverse stories now. So, so you were telling me a story um, off camera that before you launched, like the night the the Netflix special launched, mm -hmm. you were on the phone with your attorneys. Yeah, is that a, that's a true story? That's a true story. Yeah, and I, I always am for this one. Yeah, it's you just have to be prepared. Like, I've been in three movies where, you know, a, a PIL is filed against the movie, etc., etc. And you kind of handle that stuff. But, you know, India is 1.3 billion people. It's, you could put a picture of a puppy up on screen and somebody's going to be upset at that as well, you yeah. know? So, yeah, okay. Part and parcel, you know? Um, can you, do you re can you relate though to what your your fellow comics from other countries? Do they go through this same type of a thing? The different challenge? Like, what's unique about sort of the challenges you think you face? I mean, I'm, I'm in a good position. I'll tell you why. Um, there's comics in the Middle East, for instance, or comics in Africa, for instance, who legal trouble means a lot more than just admin and paperwork for those comics, yeah. right? Um, and also, they don't have the large audience that that we do to fall back on. You know, there's. Uh, there's there's a, an Egyptian comic who's like the, the the John Stewart of that region, who has a hard time getting a live gig, hmm. you know, but is viral every week, and has cases against him and has to do a show from outside, I believe. But here, there's 1.3 billion people. It's no matter what kind of comic you are, you hit such a large audience so early in your career, somebody will find you. So that's, you know? that's the other side of that. I'm always going to offend someone coin then, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm going to always offend somebody, but... But I'll always like have an audience. Too, right? yeah. yeah, and a sizable audience. Huh. There's, I mean, there is an English-speaking audience in America for stand-up comics that is the same size... Uh, in India, that is the same size as your American audience. Yeah. There is an America in India that will watch English stand-up comedy. Do you have any sort of thoughts about doing Hindi stand-up comedy or... So, I play uh, a serial killer in a show soon, which is a Hindi stand-up comedy. Oh, right on. So, I did 10 episodes of Hindi stand-up comedy and it's the toughest thing I've ever had to write. Really? Why? I, I don't think in Hindi. Huh. Um, and there is a nuance to Hindi and a depth to Hindi that uh, you can't fake. You know, so there's comics like Zakir Khan or, or Johnny Lever who are profound storytellers with really just a, an emotional depth 
that somehow you can't get to an English stand-up comedy. That's interesting. You can be far more emotional and real in Hindi stand-up. Yeah. And I'm just not there yet. But you're getting there. So mm. what is what is what is next? I mean, first of all, how do you have time to do? You got like fifty <laughs> different things, right? You I have doing this thing on Amazon, I'm this thing yeah. on Netflix, and I got my stand-up special. Like, what's how do you find balance? I'm working with as many people as I can work with, and just delegating in that sense. Yeah. So there's you know there's a good management agency in the U.S. There's a good agency in the U.S. And I'm at the point where I can kind of have an idea, and I've spent time building a team that can take that idea and run with it. I've got a small company here and they they're kind of like okay he has an idea half of it is crazy and half of it is good let's take the good part and turn it into something you know that they're, right they're kind of there uh before we wrap up there's one thing i, I, I do want to bring up um i'm very interested in decision points yeah um and so especially we, we talk to people all the time who make that leap right i'm mm -hmm. sure there are thousands of people who said i've always wanted to be a stand-up comic or i've always wanted to do acting but mm -hmm. I, you know no way i'm gonna like take that next step yeah what do you say to people um, who come to you and, you know, I want to be a stand-up comic just like you or I want to be an actor, but my parents are, are going to disown me. Like, what, what, do you say, what do you say to that person? At the end of your, your run, right, at whatever career you're at, you're going to look back at emotional points. You're not going to look back at um, the title on the wall or the trophy or the whatever. You're going to look at back at, you look at a trophy and, and remember how you felt hmm. getting that trophy. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. All right, uh, I'd done stand-up in India for eight years, and I kind of sleptwalked through it. I'll be honest. Right, I was doing a corporate every month. I was running the history of India. It was on autopilot, and it was just a certain amount of income every year. And I was doing Bollywood movies. And at some point, CAA, which is the American agency, signed me, and they said, "Come over to LA and take some meetings." Uh, so you go in there thinking this is going to be a great vanity trip and I'll take some meetings and we'll see what will happen, right? But I'd never really thrown myself into stand-up. And they said, why don't you do five minutes at the Laugh Factory on a Tuesday night on Which Sunset Boulevard? big deal comedy club in the United States. Right, in but five minutes. And I hadn't done five minutes in a while, you know what I mean? I'd been doing longer shows and working big venues. And so... Because all of the material that I'd written was kind of corporate -y and kind of safe material, I picked something that I had written six years ago to do five minutes at the Laugh Factory. Wow. So I go up at the Laugh Factory. It's Tuesday night. Uh, because I'm the new guy, it's 11.30 at night. And I did it. And the next day, um, the owner of the Laugh Factory is a guy called Jamie Masada. And he kind of called me down. He's like, who are you? Where are you from? So I'm like, I'm, I'm just in town visiting. He's like, come back tomorrow. Because I think you have something, right? So I came back the next day. And usually the new guy gets five minutes on the top of the late show. He had put me at the end of the early show between Whitney Cummings and Dane Cook. Wow, you're kind of opening for Dane Cook. That's right? Cool. So, and I had 12 minutes. And, you know, so Dane is headlining, Whitney's, you know, this thing, and there's eight comics before then. So I'm just sitting there watching Whitney Cummings destroy. She's... So good, she sucked all of the energy out of the room. And I'm terrified. And I went up, and I did 10 minutes, and I was probably more fulfilled by that 10 minutes than I was in the last eight years of my career. Really? It felt that good, because I did well, right? And so that's a big emotional decision point for me. And from that moment on, I just remember walking off stage going, 
why haven't I been doing this seriously for eight years? And that was a decision point to throw myself into stand-up. So all of a sudden, I go back to this agency and I'm like, I'm signing with you, but now send me to comedy clubs. Send me to every, like, let me do the, the Addison Improv. Let me do New Mexico. You know, let me do just small venues and let me get good at this again. So you can only trust that emotional beat point of how you feel. So what I tell people is only do this if it makes you feel like nothing else will make you feel. You know, that's when you do this. Like, life was pretty good in India, but I kind of signed up for this America experience that I never planned on because of 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, so if it makes you feel like nothing else makes you feel, much like if a person makes you feel like nothing else makes you feel, yeah. that's every reason to do it. We should probably end it there. I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know how to top that. That was a great, that was a, a, a wonderful story and a, and a good way to end things. Um, Virdas, a uh, new Netflix special is out right now. It's for India. Go see it. It's very funny. You'll probably get to see this guy uh, in the front row <laughs> at some point. Um, he's on Amazon. He's uh, doing gigging at clubs everywhere. Virdas, you can't miss him. Uh, but you got to s uh, spend some time with him here with us today. Vir, thank you so much thank for coming in. Thank you. This really fun, appreciate man. it. Thank, thank you. you.